This is Asasi Podcast, enabled by Asasi Radio. The following presentation was previously aired on Asasi Radio. We evaluate him. The evaluation is done by a separate team, separate a group of, you know, of experts, so some retired judges and so forth. Supreme Court judges don't also write examinations, but we have to look at their yeah, their, their, their judgments and publications and so forth. And um, although at first it was not, I insisted and it's now that they are properly interviewed mm. and assessed. And people have been rejected even when the government wanted them. So it's not something that is uh, the bottom. And I've told you that the division of uh, the, the, the amount of work in the Supreme Court really warrants various panels. Mm. Certainly five here doing this, five here doing this, because they are overburdened. Maybe we should, we should I have suggested that certain things should end with the Court of Appeals, certain things should not go there so that they'll be free to, um, to concentrate on the major things. Mm. And the case for increasing members will not, will not exist. You, you are an expert in arbitration. Yeah. And it seems uh, we are not making good use of uh, ADLs and everything, people <laughs> seem to be going to court and our courts are packed. Yeah. Cases are protracted for long, mm. land cases and other issues. Mm. What do you think we could do? Okay. To Let me just finish yeah. my own thoughts on the Constitution okay, sure. first and then I will come to you. I am very unhappy about what I call the exclusive approach to government. I want a more consensual approach, even when there's a majority and a minority. Mm. And the ideal way of doing it, which I know will not be accepted by the political class, is to have um, a coalition government, okay. which will consist uh, of people, uh, cabinet misses on the basis, on a ratio of the basis in, in basing on parliament, in parliament membership uh, will determine the proportion that you'll get in Japan. This is my idea. So that every election will not be a case of, um, you know, Unanimous. life and death. Yeah. There will be provision for everybody. This, I know, will not be accepted by the world because they are very keen on competing, but that's my idea. Mm. Now, the next step, which I think should be feasible, is that people get very worried about certain positions being, as it were, influenced by one party or the other. Chairperson of the Electoral Commissioners, mm -hmm. uh, the Shrag, uh, the Supreme Court, the judges that you are talking about, um, the governor of the Bank of Ghana. I think all these people should be appointed on a basis which involves the, you know, some sort of prescribed majority which will involve the opposition. Okay. Yes. So that there is a feeling that certain appointees are national appointees. I'll give you one example. Um, when I was appointed chairman of the PURC. Mm. It was not even a, a requirement, but the, 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 the government at that time and this went and 
consulted um, NPB. Is this job acceptable? Mm. So it's a, it's a national appointment. It should be done proper. The constitutional requirement for appointment should have a formula which will involve so that certain things are seen as national. And then uh, it will diffuse this idea of you know, extreme majoritarianism that mm. one party is holding these things on. So, you, you, mm. uh, uh, to, to, if I understand you clearly, so yeah. the winner takes a uh, sort exactly. of thing should be. Yes. Okay. I didn't want to use that thing because <laughs> it's, it's lifted from electoral politics mm -hmm. here into this. this. This is what I'm aiming at. Okay. This is really what I'm aiming at. It will diffuse us. Now you can ask the other question. Okay, yes. sure. So I, I was going uh, on the ADR issue that our courts are packed, but we don't seem to resort to other areas like ADR to probably free the courts of some of these long protracted cases. Well, you know, um, ADR has been introduced and under the Courts Act itself, you know, ADR is a requirement mm. before you proceed to litigation, even in the court system. So it is available to all. But of course, it's not effective because lawyers or parties don't want things to end there. Mm. Uh, and so far as arbitration is concerned, I think you are right. But we get a lot of cases. Mm. If you come to the arbitration center, almost every day okay. there's an arbitration. So people who want to get their um, uh, things settled by arbitration come. But there's a certain conservatism among the lawyers about ADR. Mm. Um, First of all, arbitrators have to be paid. Lawyers don't, yeah. want, the lawyers don't want to share anything with anybody. Um, and then some of them really have not uh, specialized in arbitration. Mm. You see, arbitration of ordinary cases is one thing, but if you have an arbitration and a major uh, agreement like a mining agreement, or yeah. agreement, you need expertise. And if you don't have the expertise, uh, you can't come. You see, some of these things end up going to international arenas. Mm. And then people have to go, go hire, you know, expensive yeah. law firms to do this. And so, I am saying that not only should they be interested in arbitration, but they should get expertise in the subject matter, mm. the substance mm. of these petroleum agreements, financing transactions, mining agreements, uh, international construction contracts. That's what I've been campaigning because it was without that. You know, you, you may sit um, through a negotiation with, without really knowing what the issues are. And these, these are complex things. And so <clears throat> uh, the investor who comes, he will always have an arbitration sure. requirement, yes. And in fact, our own investment law allows that. Mm. Mm. Uh, they, they will not come to court for that. Sure. 
So it's important that they specialize in arbitration. Otherwise, you seat arbitration to foreign firms. There are a few lawyers who are now engaged in that. I don't think many lawyers appreciate that. And of course, they like to go to court and see you know, all the glamour on the resume. Arbitration, come on, sit down. <laughs> They knock the law, not the yap English. <laughs> so let me go into an area where you find yourself now as a yes. chief. Um, we've, been li we've lived with this constitution for 30 years. Uh, it bars chiefs from engaging in active politics. How did that find its way into uh, our constitution and is it helping us? Yes. Um There are two things. The banning of chiefs from active politics and then the banning of chiefs from parliament. Uh, there are two things. Yeah. First of all, this is a matter that we did not address in our report. It's mm -hmm. something which happened during the consultative assembly. So far as uh, the prohibition of chiefs' involvement in act, uh, act, active partisan politics. I'm not opposed. Mm. I'm not opposed to it because um, I think it's a divisive thing for a chief to sort of stand on the platform and say that I support this one and I don't support that. And then what do you do when the other one wins? Yeah, chief is supposed to be um, the father of all. Mm. And um, everybody should free from I, I don't want to see an NPP chief and NDC mm -hmm. chief. And of course, we have a historical experience to think of. In the days of Nkrumah, all the chiefs who were not uh, CPP mm -hmm. were destroyed. When NLC came, uh, it was the other way around. Mm. Uh, chieftaincy should not be treated like that. A political game when, which um, is affected by the exigencies of political um, competition. However, I did not see the rationale for excluding chiefs mm. from parliament. It doesn't mean that, you know, Chiefs <laughs> uh, should participate in party policy before election in the department. First of all, there's provision for independent mm. uh, members of parliament. parliament yeah. And uh, so the question is whether they could stand. Yeah. But during the colonial days, I mean, we may think that it was, there was a special provision for having members of this Chamber of uh, Commerce or something, or Chamber of Mines, represented in Parliament without any elections and so forth. And of course, chiefs at that time were there, not by virtue of election. I, <clears throat> and I think Kenya has something, you know, like that. People may think it, it's, um, it's um, it's not acceptable, but I, it's conceivable to have chiefs in parliament, mm. 
by virtue of a constitutional provision that mm. there is a certain group, number of chiefs should be there without going through the election and mm. so forth. And if that is not acceptable, then let's have a second chamber okay. in which chiefs will be there, and not only chiefs, but also very uh, eminent uh, people mm. who have a way to contribute without being parliament. party members yeah, or parliament. Yeah. So that's how I see it. Mm. Now, as to how it arrived, somebody was suggesting, I think in the Professor Kumado's book that, you know, the woman, <laughs> when the woman in the Conservative Assembly heard that, you know, some people are resisting women going to the National and Regional House of Chiefs, mm -hmm. they campaigned for the exclusion of <laughs> Chiefs. Chiefs from <laughs> Parliament. <laughs> I don't know how far it's true, mm. but. Uh, uh, I think chiefs should not be excluded from the legislative process. Mm. Mm. Just because of a chief doesn't mean that you cannot think about affairs of state mm. and make a contribution. And uh, if not in main parliament, maybe in the second chamber. Second chamber. As a moderating influence. Mm. On all this, yes. Uh, sorry. How about converting our House of Chiefs, uh, National House of Chiefs, into a second chamber then? Well, not only the National House of Chiefs, but, you know, have a national uh, a second chamber in which uh, the National House of Chiefs will represented other professionals, other people okay. who are knowledgeable and have something to contribute, mm. who are not partisan, mm. just join. I, I want it for you. So like not, the Council of State and yes, all that. that's just, right, mm. yes. As a council of state, uh, where of course the majority is not appointed by, <laughs> the, by president. the president. Yeah. Now, I've really enjoyed our conversation, but I can't leave here um, without um, having you um, give an advice to today's um, uh, modern-day citizens. You know, your time things were different. Things are different now. Ninety years on it is no mean achievement. Your experiences and or what have you? What it's on your chest that you really want to talk on, yes. Well, first of all, you know, during the colonial times, there was a meritocracy. Mm. Everything was based on merit. I don't want to extol the colonial times, mm. but in the modern time, if you look at what is going on in China and Korea and so forth, meritocracy is very important. I think we should restore that here. And on that basis, uh, would, my advice is that uh, young people should look forward to achieving results as a result of hard work. Mm. This idea of shortcuts to wealth or shortcut to fame mm. um, is something which really um, does not endure to the benefit of the country as a whole. I have seen the Koreans work, the Chinese work, and um, there is a certain ethic which we need discipline, hard work, and so forth, meritocracy. We should not think that politics is everything. Mm. 
and we are so polarized and so politicized that you know even contributions from people who are genuine and so forth may not be acceptable because of <clears throat> what they consider to be his political allegiance. Mm. That, that really is not good. I'm also, <clears throat> from my own experience, uh, coming from um, a village school and going to international service and academia and all the rest, I have faith in the power of the Almighty. Mm. It's, oh, it's just not by my own uh, exertions, it's something so that respect uh, for the Almighty and reliance on these sterling values mm -hmm. in one's life are uh, uh, important. Mm. I think that's really what I want to say. Normally, I describe myself as somebody who uh, went from a village mm -hmm. to the global village as international <laughs> so, and then came back to the village. To the village. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's a journey from the village to the global village and mm -hmm. back to the village, all giving me opportunities of service. And I think whatever you do, Look at the impact mm. that you do, not how high you have got. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's Thank you, too. Yeah, okay. we, we are most grateful. We are looking forward to your 100 years on earth. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come here and celebrate with you. <laughs> May God give you that long life. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We really Thank enjoyed you. our conversation. All right. Yeah. Well, all too soon, we've come to the end of another edition of Sunday Night with my guest, Nana Susubribi, Kobia Asante also known as Dr. S.K.B. Asante, the Omahene of Asante Asokori. He is also an arbitrator and a legal luminary. This has been another edition of Sunday Night. I've been doing this with my producer, Abedi Enim, and also my cameraman, Dennis Asante, and our driver, Woodred Kenneth Honu. My name is Kent Mensah. Thank you very much, and do join us again the same time and on the same day, Asasi Radio 995. Good evening. Thank you for listening to Assassi Podcast. Follow Assassi Radio on Twitter at Assassi Radio 995 or share your feedback via feedback at assassiradio.com.